0: We'll we'll be in Exodus chapter 3 this morning, but there will be quite a few passages we'll be turning to uh, as we study this passage. And so just get ready to um, give your Bible a little bit of a workout this morning as we turn from place to place. I'd like to read Exodus 3 verses 14 and 15 along with a little bit of a medley of other verses. Exodus 3, verse 14, is God answering the question that Moses asked of God. In verse 13, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? This is God's answer. God said to Moses, This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Psalm 69, verses 35 and 36 says, For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, And those who love his name shall dwell in it. Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you are. O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek You. Psalm 18, 31, 32 For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The name of God is a precious truth. Let us pray and ask God to use these truths to equip us to know Him more. Oh, Father, we bow before you, acknowledge you are God. You're the one who declares the end from the beginning. You're the one who dwells in the heights. Inaccessible, in a sense, because you are so holy. And yet, you're the one who condescends to dwell with the lowly. And you've revealed your name. It's precious. It's precious. And I ask that you would use these moments that we have to instill us a great fear of you and a love for you and a love for your name. Father, we've just been singing your praises. There's nothing in us, no righteousness that we possess that could ever merit standing in your presence. But because of who you are and your kindness and love, you have given your Son so that we can be called Your children, even be called by Your name. We thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for salvation by His blood, not by our own merit. And Father, we want to ascribe to Your name all glory and honor that You deserve. Help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Shakespeare wrote something like, A rose, by any other word, would still smell sweet. Would that be true if we were to name God by another name? You think that you could take a rose and give it another name and it would still possess its same attributes, but when God gives His name, He does not allow us the freedom to call Him whatever we want. He has revealed himself to be who he is, and he has given us his name so that we would always ascribe to the right God the attributes and perfections that he possesses. A name can have a variety of significances. One uh, commentator says, in Jewish thought, a name is not merely an arbitrary designation. A random combination of sounds. The name conveys the nature and essence of the thing named. It represents the history and reputation of the being named. This is not as strange or unfamiliar a concept as it may seem at first glance. In English, we often refer to a person's reputation as his good name. When a company is sold, one thing that may be sold is the company's goodwill, that is the right to use the company's name. The Hebrew concept of a name is very similar to these ideas, End quote. Exodus 3, 14 and 15 is a fascinating portion of Scripture because we have in it the Creator God, the God of the Bible, telling us His name. telling us why his name is what it is. It's a moment in scripture when God explains his name. It's fascinating on a variety of levels. One of the reasons it's fascinating, because the name that he gives to himself, the one that he reveals of himself, is a name that we don't know how to pronounce today. It's a name that we can maybe spell, but how you pronounce it is not exactly known. We say something like Yahweh. When you look in your Bible and you see in verse 15, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, has sent me to you. That phrase, the Lord, is in Hebrew a combination of letters like our Y, our H, our W, our H, Y-H-W-H. But how we pronounce it is not entirely clear. Perhaps it's Yahweh, that's kind of the best guess at it, but most people would concede that's probably not the way that it was pronounced. And so we have this name that's been given of God, and yet its pronunciation, in one sense, has been lost to us over the course of history. The name that, when we say it, the Lord, we're really ascribing a title to him. To say that he is Lord is to say that he is master, he is ruler, it's a title, but when God gives his name to Moses, he actually gives a name, Y-H-W-H, the personal name of God. One theologian says the personal name of God is Yahweh, and again, pronunciation not entirely clear, it is a foreign name, quite un-English. And so unlike the good Anglo-Saxon word, God. For that reason, if perhaps for no other, the name Yahweh must be preserved, lest it should should ever be imagined that God is an Englishman. He is a foreigner now to every race on earth, the very awkwardness of addressing a God whose name is not native to one's language in itself alerts us to the alienness of Yahweh, to every God created in our own image. When we spend these moments thinking about the name of God and we're not even sure how to pronounce it, we realize that this God who is not a God who is to be manipulated by us. We are told and I'll use the pronunciation Yahweh, we're told that Yahweh is the name of God. And this is really the focus of what we want to spend our time thinking about this morning. Verse 15, at the end of this, after God has revealed his name, he says, This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. That's the goal this morning. God, when he revealed his name, instructed Moses that that was the name by which he was to be remembered forever, from generation to generation. So the question before us is, in a sense, how do we do that? Are we doing that? If we don't even know how to pronounce this name, and the name Yahweh is infrequently used in our common conduct, are we doing what this scripture says should be done for the name of God? That's the goal that we want to consider this morning. This passage, to give a little context, is the one in which God is calling Moses to be the one who will go and deliver his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. God is equipping Moses with instruction about what it's going to be like as he goes and does that. Moses is on shaky ground. He doesn't feel confident at all that he is the one for this job, and we'll talk more about that next week. He's already asked, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God's answer was, I will be with you. And then Moses basically asks, Well, what's your name? Who am I going to say is the one who has sent me? And that's when God answers with, I am who I am. The response to the name, What is the name of God? The response to the question, what is the name of God, is I am who I am. At least that's the first of three responses God gives. That name is profoundly significant to the rest of the Old Testament, really the rest of the Bible, not because when you think of the name of God, you think of that phrase, I am who I am, but because that name, I am who I am, encapsulates this infinite God who possesses all perfections, and that name reveals that he is a God who is going to be who he is. He's not going to be changed by us. He's not going to be altered by us. He is always and forever God. So that phrase, I am who I am, is not significant because that's the name that is used throughout the rest of the Old Testament. It's significant because it reveals the meaning of the name that's used through the rest of the Old Testament. And then when God answers Moses again, He says, at the end of verse 14, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He shortens it. First, the answer to the question is, I am who I am. And now he just says, I am. Again, if you're thinking about how you're communicating to other people and you're telling people the name of the person who sent you to them and you say, the name of the person who sent me to you is I am They might look at you with a little bit of a quizzical stare, scratching their heads. I am? What in the world does that mean? Well, we understand it's really a shortening of I am who I am. In our language, if we said I am, you'd be waiting for the next phrase. I am what? I am a pastor. I am a dad. I am a husband. I am a soccer player. I am whatever, fill in the blank. But with God, it's just I am, period. Because how do you extol the greatness of the God who has all perfections? Well, the way that He does it is by saying, I am. I am has sent me to you. At some point, the Israelites would have to conclude after they've gone through all of the experiences that they have with this God. Who delivers them in a miraculous way out of Egypt? It seems like they could appropriately say at some point, God said, I am. He is. He is what? No, He is. He is. That's enough. He is who He is. And then God gives this third response in verse 15. Say this to the people of Israel The Lord the God of your fathers the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you This is my name forever This final iteration of the name that God provides to Moses is the name that permeates the rest of the Old Testament It's that name that you see in your Bibles is the Lord the caps capital L capital O capital R capital D but that is a way that we translate that name Yahweh, translated as the Lord. That name is used over 6,000 times in the Bible. The Hebrew Old Testament, sorry, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Old Testament, there are about 600,000 words. 6,000 of them is the name Yahweh. That's a significant percentage of the Bible. And it indicates that this name is to be highly regarded. It also indicates to us, not surprisingly, that God is the main character of the Bible. This name, Yahweh. By the way, just a little bit of a parenthesis, um, in case you're interested in this type of thing. We We don't know how to pronounce the second half of the name, but it's pretty certain that we know the first half is Yah. And you know why. Hallelujah. That's a praise Yahweh. That's what it means. And so we know Yah is the first half, but second half way, well, kind of guessing with that. You think of other names in the Old Testament that include that Yah part Elijah, Adonijah. The way part is uncertain. This name, though, does not seem to be emphasized for its pronunciation. It seems to be emphasized for its meaning. And we can gather its meaning by what he's already said. He says, I am who I am. He says, I am. And then when you come to this name of Yahweh, it seems to be that it has a connection with that verb, I am. But now instead of being the first person I am, it's now third person, something along the lines of he is. But don't take that too far. Don't go on to say that the name of God is he is. That's not what it is. The name is a personal name. It is Yahweh. I think I shared with you last week that my name, Andy, means manly or courage or courageous or something. But you can't replace my name with manly. You can't go around and start calling me manly. That'd be really awkward. That's not my name. My name is Andy. Just as God's name is not He is, it actually is Yahweh. But we see the connection to what it actually means. He is. It's a personal name. It's a name like John or Adam or even a personal name like Jesus. It has meaning, but it's a real name. The meaning is personal. This name is the name of the God who will deliver Israel out of Egypt. To have a name reminds us that he is personal and that he is to be known. And so as the people are led out of Egypt and as the subsequent generations remember the great acts of God and experience new ones, they have this name to which they ascribe all the glory for what he has done. Yahweh is the one who will receive all of the glory. When he says his name, he immediately qualifies it in verse 15 that he is the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's for Moses and the rest of the Israelites and for us to know that this God is not a new God. He's a God who's been active since the beginning. He's a God who is active in bringing about the fulfillment of his promises. The promises that began with Abraham, went down to Isaac and Jacob and unto the Israelites. He's not a new God. But this is his name. And this is the name he says that he is to be remembered throughout all generations. He says, This is my name forever. As God answers this question from Moses, he seems to want to punctuate the fact that this is the name that he is going to possess from generation to generation to generation. This will allow the Israelites to give glory to the right God. The word therefore, remembered is a word that can also be meaning memorial or mention. It is the name by which God wants to be remembered or by which he wants to be mentioned. It's used the same word in Jeremiah 20 verse 9. If you know anything about Jeremiah's ministry, it was a tough one. He was challenged almost constantly by his prophesying. He was persecuted relentlessly. And Jeremiah, in verse 20, verse 9, says, If I say, I will not mention him, speaking of the Lord, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. He seems to come to this point where he thinks, it might just be easier if I stop talking about Yahweh, If I don't mention him. But Jeremiah can't do that. He's got a fire in his bones and he cannot cease from saying the name of God. It's that same word, mention or remember. It's also used in Exodus 23 verse 13 when God is instructing Israel and telling them, that the name of other gods may not be heard among them, he says, pay attention to all that I have said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. The very mention of the names of other gods was forbidden. It's the same word. And so as God declares that this is the name he is to be remembered by, it is the name by which he is to be mentioned, Yahweh. So, this remembrance seems to be through the actual use of his name. God's expectation is that his name would be remembered from generation to generation forever. So, now the question is well, what happened? What happened? Why do we use the Lord instead of this name that he very clearly gives to Moses? What's happened? We'll spend a few moments thinking about this. What happened was, at some point, as the scriptures were being passed down, the name of YHWH or Yahweh was still written in the Hebrew manuscripts. But at some point, it was made clear that when you come to that name, you don't say Yahweh, you say Adonai, which means Lord. It's a little bit more nuanced than that in how it came about. But at least that tradition continued because as we come into our English Bibles, we don't read Yahweh, with the exception of very few translations. We read the Lord. But this is in continuity with what happened with the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. When that was translated, when it was translated from Hebrew to Greek, they put in Kyrios, which means Lord instead of the name Yahweh. In the New Testament which is in Greek when it quotes from the Hebrew Scriptures. It doesn't use the name Yahweh. It uses kurios, Lord. And when you look at the Latin translation, you have dominus, which means Lord. And of course, again, our English translations, you have Lord. So what happened to this memorial name of God? And by the way, I'm not on some sort of Da Vinci Code witch hunt here, trying to find some scandalous past. But I think theologically the question's more interesting. But for a few moments to get there theologically, I think we want to spend some time thinking about it a little bit historically, about what happened to this name Yahweh. I mentioned to you that this name is used 6,000 times in the Old Testament. And it's clear that it was actually used. When they spoke the name of God, they actually spoke His name. You could look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 4. This is the story of Boaz. And uh, of course, when he comes to marry Ruth, but before he m- meets Ruth, he goes out into the field. Boaz does. Chapter 2, verse 4. And as he greets the reapers, he says, Yahweh be with you. And they respond, Yahweh bless you. And so it seems like the culture at the time was that they would use the name Yahweh in their greetings. It would be like saying hello. So the name Yahweh was exceptionally common. Or you could think about David and how he uses the name. Psalm 8, chapter, psalm 8 verse 1. You could find David using the name all over the place. But here's just one example. As David writes this psalm, he says, O Yahweh, our Lord, Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Or verse 9, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David used the name. Or you could go to Isaiah chapter 47. And you'll see that Isaiah understands the significance of this name. Isaiah 47, verse 4. Our Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts, is His name, is the Holy One of Israel. Jeremiah, in chapter 10, verse 6, speaks His name. And the great prophet who is tempted to keep His name inside of his own heart, speaks His name. Clearly, of the name Yahweh. Chapter 10, verse 16. He says, Not like these is the one who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. Yahweh of hosts is his name. Or Ezekiel, just to round out some of the prophets. Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 23. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh, declares the Lord Yahweh, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. We've kind of spanned a wide swath of periods for Israel. Time of the judges, time of David, time of the prophets. And then you come into the time after Israel has been exiled from the land and they come back into the land. The name is still being used. If you go to Nehemiah chapter 9, you'll see that this name, Yahweh, has not been lost to history at this point. It's still being used. This is the cusp of when the Old Testament is ending, and the New Testament will be beginning soon. You have Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 5 through 7. The Levites stand up. They say, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting. Excuse me, stand up and bless Yahweh your God, from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are Yahweh, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are Yahweh, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. So clearly, the name is being used throughout the Old Testament. It has not fallen into disuse. When they used the name, it was to be used reverentially. You find this throughout Ezekiel's ministry. He calls the people out repeatedly for how they used the name. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 39, it says, As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord Yahweh, Go serve every one of you his idols now and hereafter if you will not listen to me. But my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. Israel was living an idolatrous double life where they were claiming the name of Yahweh, but they were offering sacrifices to their idols. And God basically says, Stop blaspheming my name. The third commandment that the Lord gives at Sinai is Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And so there's supposed to be a reverence about this name, a seriousness about it. As Israel wandered down the course of flagrant disobedience, and God brought judgment on the people, Terrible judgment because they live such idolatrous lives. The people began to be a little bit nervous about the name of God. In Amos chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, Amos is a book almost exclusively of judgment. It says, Yahweh has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, declares Yahweh, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up to bring the bones out of the house, and they shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, Is there anyone still with you? He shall say, No, and he shall say, Silence, we must not mention the name of Yahweh. When judgment came, the people became so fearful of the Lord that they said, let's not even mention his name. Which, of course, is in direct contradiction to what God had expressly desired in that his name would be his name forever. So it seems that there rises up a bit of a fear of using the name because they associate his name with judgment. when you look at how the Old Testament was translated by uh, the Jews who were in exile, one interesting note is that in Leviticus 24, verse 16, the text which originally said, whoever blasphemes the name, of Yahweh shall surely be put to death it began to be translated not blasphemes it began to be translated whoever names the name of Yahweh shall be put to death it came to be understood that just even saying the name was such a a fearful act that you ought not even to say it for fear of blaspheming him Some uh, of the group of the Essenes, which was like a sect like the Pharisees, said anyone who speaks aloud the most holy name of Elohim, that's God, whether in cursing or frivolously or as a blurt in time of trial or for any other reason or while he is reading the book or praying, is to be expelled, never again to return to the body of the community. So they had a rule that if you even said the name, you couldn't be among them in the 3rd century there are there's written uh, in a mishnah that there are exceptions to those who would inherit the world to come and those who would not inherit the world to come is the one who pronounces the ineffable name of god as it is written with its letters in the name of god which was to be remembered forever from generation to generation, became a name that if you used it, you were basically thought of as a pariah and destined for damnation. Today, in modern Jewish Jewish usage, one Jewish scholar says, Jews do not casually write any name of God. This practice does not come from the commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain, as many supposed. In Jewish thought, that commandment refers solely to oath-taking and is a prohibition against swearing by God's name falsely or frivolously. Judaism does not prohibit the writing of the name of God per se. It prohibits only erasing or defacing the name of God. However, observant Jews avoid writing any name of God casually because of the risk that the written name might later be defaced, obliterated, or destroyed accidentally, or by one who does not know better. So modern Jewish usage is that it it can be written, but not in a way that could be defaced or thrown away, and the only time it is used really is in the reading of Scripture or in prayers. I recall a man at a Bible study that I was teaching who had this such a great reverence for the Scriptures that if he was ever asked to read it, he would take about a minute to read one sentence because he didn't want to mess up one single word. And that's some of the sense of what happens today with this name is that there's such a care about not misusing it that it becomes to the point where it's not even used or said. So what's happened to this name? As we come to the New Testament, we don't see it there. As we speak, we don't commonly use it. Judaism rarely uses it. Where is this name of God that he desired to be used forever and ever? Why has this name fallen into, by and large, disuse? Well, perhaps it's not fallen into much, as much disuse as we might think. Look at First Peter, Chapter Three, Verse Fifteen. Peter says, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. That phrase is really significant because, well, perhaps you should just turn there. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. But Yahweh of hosts, or but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. The one that we are now to regard as holy, the one who bears the name of Yahweh, or bears the name of the Lord, is Christ. First Peter is a clear reference to Yahweh of the Old Testament, and now it's applied to Jesus Christ. Or Romans 10.13, you know this verse. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a quote from Joel 2.32. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. When Paul writes in Romans 10.13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, what name is he referring to? Who's he talking about? Well, Romans 10.9, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's basically a way of saying Jesus is Yahweh. What happened to this name, Yahweh? Why has it fallen into such great disuse? I don't think it's fallen into disuse because we see Jesus, who is Yahweh, and every time we name him, we are commemorating Yahweh. Jesus, in John 6.35, kicks off this string of statements that are known as his I am statements. He said, "I am the bread of life" in John 6:35. In John 8:12, he says, "I am the light of the world." John 10:9, "I am the door." John 10:11, "I am the good shepherd." John 11:25 through 26, "I am the resurrection and the life." John 14:6, "I am the way and the truth and the life." John 15, 5, 15, 1, "I am the true vine remember what God said to Moses in the second answer tell them I am has sent me to you and then what does Jesus say in John eight fifty eight? truly truly I say to you before Abraham was I am you remember what the Jews did they picked up stones to try and stone him because they clearly understood that the name that he was taking for himself was that memorial name of God Yahweh I am Jesus took it for himself so in John 17:6 in Jesus high priestly prayer Jesus is speaking to his father in heaven and here's what he says in 17:6 I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Do you hear what he just said? Jesus is the one who is making that very name of God known to the people who he has given him. Or in John chapter 1, verse 12, But to all who did receive him, all who believed in his name, that's the name of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Or back in chapter 17, verse 11, Jesus continues to pray, keep them in your name which you have given me. Or John seventeen twenty six. Again, Jesus says, I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. So what do you do with this name Yahweh? Well, the name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. It's the Hebrew name Joshua. It has that Yah in it. It has the very name of God in it. We say it in a little bit of an English way, but it's still that name there. So how do you know the name Yahweh? Where is it remembered forever? How is, Hebr- how is Exodus 3.15 still kept today? Well, you cannot know the name Yahweh unless you know the name Jesus. And perhaps that's why it's fallen into such great disuse because if you don't know the name Jesus, you cannot know the name Yahweh because you know nothing of his reputation if you don't know Jesus because God has sent his son Jesus to make his name known to this world. And it says in Acts 4.12 that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the one who manifests the name Look, one final text with me. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5. Have this mind... in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What's the name now? What's the name of Jesus? And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know Yahweh, for he has made his name known to us. Let's pray. Father, we know that you take your name seriously. We are to regard it with appropriate reverence and awe. And I hope, as we've seen in your word, that we know that the name that is above every name, the name that deserves all reverence, all attentiveness, is the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray that we would reverence him. We would fear him. We'd worship him. We'd follow him. We'd take his name seriously, that we would not bear his name in vain. Oh, what a great dishonor it would be to our Savior to be marked with his name and then not to live like him or to represent him well, to not take his name seriously, his reputation Oh, for he is with us always and he cares for us. He's given his life for us. He leads us. He's our good shepherd. Oh, we love him. Help us to take his name as seriously as we would think of taking the name Yahweh. Oh, we thank you, Father, for your son. We praise you for your word as well that illumines our hearts to who you are and what you are doing in this world. Lord, make us people who worship you, who live for you at all times. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.